Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Bonjour, je m'appelle Ken Sandberg. Yes. <laughs> Welcome I'm... to Campfire Classics, where I like to confuse my co-host with strange languages. And I'm Craig Kelberg. Oh, <laughs> uh, see, this is this is going well so far. Well, just I... just because I took two years of French and our dad was a French teacher doesn't mean that I know anything about the French language or how it works or what to. Do Doesn't mean I know how to say hello. My, my name, name is, is Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I heard you say my name is 15 seconds ago doesn't know I know how to say my name is. You're I'm not just because you're not doesn't mean it's going well. Hey, listeners, welcome to Campfire Classics. I'm just trying to bring a little bit of class and education to these proceedings. And I'm trying to ruin it all. Which is pretty much the dynamic I usually have with my co-host. Perfect. Yeah. Start your engines. Vroom, vroom. Uh, so this one is either going to be very slappy or uh, very not, because this will be the fourth episode of Campfire Classics we have recorded in just over 24 hours. Woo! Um, so I don't know about you, but I'm feeling very literary today. I'm feeling uh, a little sweaty. Um, uh, does that have kind of smelly? Does that have anything to do with the stories we've been reading? No. No. Oh. Does it have anything to do with the samosas that you've been eating? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were just discussing before we hit record on this that um, a samosas and mimosas party needs to happen. What game would fit with samosas and mimosas? To to com. com- Complete out the rhyme that samosas, mimosas, and isn't there a game called like Corsica? Maybe Ponderosa. <laughs> isn't that the farm from uh, Bonanza? Bonanza. That's yeah. One. Yeah. There's probably a game called Ponderosa. Yeah. Although it could also be. It could just be Bonanza. Samosas, <laughs> mimosas, samosas, and Ponderosa could just be let's. Eat samosas, drink mimosas, and watch Bonanza. <laughs> Perfect. There it is. There's the there's the trifecta. One of my favorite stories about that TV series that I'm sure you know, and there's a decent chance I've I've told on uh, this podcast before, is. Um, uh, Lorne Green, mm-hmm. the guy who played the the dad. Yep. Um, at his audition, they were like, "Hey, you're great. You're exactly the guy we want." Oh, uh, you're good with horses, right? And he was like, "Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've been riding horses since I was a kid." He had never ridden a horse before. Yeah. He had never seen a horse in person before. He had a spell horse. <laughs> he had a spell horse. <laughs> so he he went out and and took riding lessons real quick. But but basically, those first couple of seasons, he was like, "Nah." Nope, don't put me on screen with a horse. <laughs> I prefer funny. not to smell them. <laughs> right in line with uh, last week's moral, which I believe was fake it till you make it. Right, yeah. Just tell people what 
they want to hear. Oh, that's not at all the policy of Campfire Classics. No. If we were into telling people what they wanted to hear, we wouldn't be doing any of this. Yeah, we'd be reading Harry Potter. Speaking of telling people <laughs> not what they want to hear, I think it's time for another installment of everybody's new favorite segment, Clown Corner! Before we get into what it is we normally do in this podcast, welcome to Clown Corner, my new favorite segment where I talk about clowns until someone listening tells me to stop. But since we've recorded all of these episodes back to back, no one has been able to do that yet. If you want this madness to end, email us at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com and come up with something more interesting for me to talk about. <laughs> Tell me about your haunted screwdriver or something. I imagine this being a haunted like screwdriver is in like orange juice and vodka. Sure. <laughs> it can come to the mimosas and samosas and ponderosa party. I, I want that story. I want that haunted story. If you have a story about a haunted screwdriver, we will pay you compliments in exchange for that story many compliments many compliments many compliments um unless it's a bad story i'll pay you you will get musical compliments if you write us a good story about a haunted screwdriver that's my guarantee i like it i can't promise craig will take part in it i i can only promise that i will take part in it but i can guarantee you an on the podcast musical thank you if you write and send us a story about a musical uh musical a haunted <laughs> screwdriver if it can B- also be musical, it's musical. <laughs> a singing glass of vodka and orange juice i want to go back to like and all it sings is the bonanza 15 theme. episodes ago 20 whenever i was whenever i was on last and you asked what musical i want <laughs> i want haunted screwdriver the musical <laughs> That's the musical that I want. But until then, <laughs> clowns. Um, so we're clear. I think clowns are generally out there to do good. I know a lot of people are scared of them, but mostly that's because of the movie It and assholes like John Wayne Gacy, a.k.a. Pogo the Clown. In 1975... John Wayne Gacy invented the Pogo character because he enjoyed performing for people. He liked the opportunity to regress into a childlike state, and since he rarely took any money for his performances, it was a charitable way to give back to his community. He performed at numerous local parties, political functions, charitable events, and children's hospitals. The fact that during his years as a public service clown, he murdered at least 30 young men earned him the name The Killer Clown. Some people just have to ruin things for everyone. Seriously, fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be sharing this picture of Pogo the Clown on our social media in the next day or two because, you know, why not? Fuck him. Yeah. At his trial, he shared all sorts of stories about how he was abused and his parents weren't nice to him. And fuck he, them, too. I mean, fuck them, too. And apparently he claimed that society wouldn't allow him to uh, uh, accurately express his sexuality. And the psychologists or whoever it was they brought in said he had schizophrenia and split personality disorders and all sorts of things. And uh, yeah, basically, he, he murdered 33, at least 33 uh, young men. Yeah. Yeah. He's a dick. 
no getting back from that. But this isn't a true crime podcast. This is not a true crime podcast, so I'm not going to go into that any more than I just have. Just know that occasionally, if you force me to keep doing Clown Corner, uh, there will be some creepy clowns that show up. So, really, listener, this is your fault. Not yet. They haven't had the chance to say oh, they don't want Oh, I don't know. Anyone who's been paying attention should have been able to guess that I was going to go here. All right, fair enough. But, no, this is not a true crime podcast, and it's not even a clown podcast as much as I may be trying to turn it into one. What it actually is is a literary comedy podcast where your hosts take turns each week reading stories, cold reading stories, that we pull out of the public domain. We... Just like that. Uh, we try to um, come up with good voices and not horribly butcher the grammar and syntax of the stories, but usually we fail at all of those things. But at least we're really good at inserting sex jokes where they don't belong. And entertaining ourselves. <laughs> entertaining ourselves, which is really the most important part and the only reason to do this. But before we get to the story, Craig is going to share a few fun facts about the story that he chose for me to read today. Fun facts. This week's author is a, is a lesser known author. All right. We like those. Desmond Francis Talbot Coke. I like that name. It's a good name. Was born in London. Wait. Coke, oh, never mind, born in London. Yep. I was going to say Coke like the drink or Coke like the brothers, because if he's part of that family. Spelled like the drink. Great. Definitely not associated with the, I mean, both suck, but definitely not, you know, rather, anyhow. Was bo- Coke's not that bad. I'm sure they have. Oh, I'm sure they got some problematic yeah. crap. Yeah, absolutely. But like. uh, Was born in London. Great. <laughs> On the 5th of July, 1879, his father was a major general and his mother was a journalist. Was he the very model? Uh, his father? Or him? I'm going to go with no in both cases. Okay. That's too bad. He somewhat followed in both of their... Well, he did follow in both their footsteps, kind of. Uh, his father, he followed by attending Oxford and joining their volunteer battalion. Uh, he started writing in the early 1900s, mostly poetry and short stories. Okay, so there's his mom. There's his mom. When World War I broke out, he was commissioned into a service battalion and sent to the Western Front. But after contracting trench fever, was sent home for heart problems. He was born in 79? Yes. So he would have been in his mid-30s when he was commissioned into active service. When did World War I begin? 1914? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Damn. Yeah, that's wild. Um, he became a teacher and continued writing, taking up the pen name Belinda Blinders and writing adventure stories. Belinda? Uh, Belinda. So he decided his books would sell better if they were written by a woman. He decided, yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's just... Um, it's wild. Unconventional, yeah. especially for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of there there are a couple of well known sort of pen names in the like fifties and sixties pulp fiction sci fi and fantasy world that are their women's names that it's generally accepted that this is a pen name for a male author um, but 
I don't think I heard of a lot of women writing under men's names right. or writing under just their initials. Yeah. But. Yep. Not huh. sure. Don't know. Didn't didn't find clarification on that one. But, All right. Uh, cool. There you go. Um, he died in 1931. Uh, he R.I.P. R.I.P. Too soon. Uh, he is most remembered today for his books, The Bending of the Twig and Helena Brett's Career. Today, you're going to read his short story from, 19, from the 1915 collection, The Times Red Cross Storybook, by famous novelists serving in His Majesty Forces, called The Ghost That Failed. Ooh. Let's start this fire. Huh. There's some strange italics in this. The Ghost That Failed. Or maybe it's the ghost that failed. (laughs) Oh yeah, they just forgot forgot like colon or something. The ghost that failed by Desmond Cook, loyal North Lancashire regiment. The blue lady wailed disconsolately in the paneled room. In her mortal life, 400 years before, she had always been somewhat behind the times, and now she was in arrears by the space of the whole silly season. She was grappling with the stale problem. Do we believe? I don't Silly season. Silly season, yes. Silly season. I like it. The fifth season. Five seasons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, winter, spring, summer, fall, Hamblick. Hamblick? Hamblick. Hamblick. Yeah. Hamblick, the silly season. Perfect. <laughs> and then there's Tortar, the fire season. Mm-hmm. Where it just rains fire. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I, it's my least favorite season. I hate that season. Yeah. It's really hard to get anything done. Yeah. Um, cause like you can't go outside. Yeah. The crops just get, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fortunately during the silly season, the crops mostly burrow underground during Hamblick. They burrow <laughs> underground. Um, so that when the fire rain hits, they're, they're safe under several feet of dirt. Right. Which is nice. The blue lady concluded emphatically that we did not believe, and hence her wailing. She had seen the age of skepticism coming. For more than 300 glad years, men had crossed themselves and shuddered when she went moaning through the somber rooms of Yocraft Hall. Secure in her reputation, she had been content once only in the evening to interrupt the revelry and then, conscious that all eyes had been upon her stately progress, to seek contentedly her spectral couch. She's a spectral ca- I want a spectral couch. I don't think it would do you much good for the time being. I just want to be prepared. Okay. Well, um... Shit, what was the name of the fire season? Tor, 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 tan, tor, tor, tortuga? Tortuga? Tartar. 
tartar. Couch tartar. <laughs> I, I think my couch is uncooked. <laughs> I was going to say, if you just leave your couch outside in between Hamblin and Winter, then the fire rain will kill it. Perfect. And then the ghost of your couch will be waiting for you. Done. It might be a vengeful couch. They all are. Let's be real. But with the growth of science had risen also disbelief. Once stagecoaches were discarded and people came to Yocraft by a steam-drawn train, she felt that any other marvel must lose caste. She did not fail to observe that as she passed along the rooms, there were those who, though they trembled, would not turn and made pretense of not observing her. Then came the hideous day on which the hall harbored a deputation from the Society of Research who loaded themselves with cameras, dull books, and revolvers before spending the night in the paneled room. <laughs> revolvers? It's like... It's just an NRA meeting. <laughs> get our cameras, our dictionaries, and our guns. <laughs> so we can... Look find up, a, find a ghost. Look up the words that we accidentally shoot into the ceiling, <laughs> and then take pictures of them. Perfect. The blue lady, as became a self-respecting ghost, slept elsewhere, and would not show herself to these ill-mannered creatures. So that next day, the press declared the famous Yocroft ghost to be a myth. This was terrible, but far worse was to come. Oh my god, it's a ghost story from the ghost's perspective. I love this. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> the family who had held Yocroft since feudal times, the Blue Lady's own family, showed with old age a preference for sleep, and inasmuch as an ungrateful populace refused to pay them for this function, reduced means led to the abandonment of Yocraft. It was taken by Lord Silthurs. Silthwaha. There are too many letters in that name. Silthursk? That's, that's what I would say, yeah. It was taken by Lord Silthursk, who had made tinned meat and a million by methods equally ambiguous. He turned the moss-hung chapel into a garage and fitted electric light throughout the hall. The blue lady, struck in every vulnerable part, resolved to drive the Silthursk's Jesus. <laughs> resolved to drive the Silthursk's out. For the first three days of their residence, she missed no chance of floating in on Lady Silthursk at moments. <laughs> How many times am I gonna have to say that name? I think I actually think it would be easier to, easier to pronounce. If you have the T, if you... Silthursk? Yeah. I was thinking about it. That sounds better in my head. The Silthursk. All right, from now on, it's Silthursk, not Silthursk. <laughs> it's canon. She missed no chance of floating in on Lady Silthursk at moments likely to embarrass her. Her ladyship so... Her ladyship showed no symptoms of annoyance or of fear, though sometimes, if not alone, she would look up and say, Oh, here's that blue one again, <laughs> in tones 
which the blue one took to be of terror cleverly concealed. <laughs> <laughs> On the fourth day, the Silthursks had a niece to stay, and the blue lady embraced this as a chance to learn what real impression she had made. Waiting till dessert was on the table so that her ladyship might not think it necessary to hide her fear before the servants, she swept into the dining room and passed close beside the niece. Elfrida shuddered. What was that? she cried. What's what? asked her aunt, while her uncle said, Banana, and fell to his dessert again. No, it's something cold. It made me shudder, just as if something had gone by. The blue lady, ambushed behind a vast tool leather screen, gloated over her success. Oh, that, said Lady Silkhurst. That's one of the fixtures, a spook. We rather like her. It's so picturesque and old world, ain't it? I may have chosen the wrong accent for her if she's saying words like ain't. <laughs> it's so picturesque and old world, ain't it? Like Some it. people can see her. I always can. She's blue, quite an inoffensive, mauvey blue. Oh, I distinctly like her. She's a novelty, you know. And she'll be so cooling in the summer. It's Casper. It's Casper. <laughs> but even she started at the ghastly groan which issued from behind the leather screen. For some weeks, the blue lady did not deign to show herself until Lady Silthursk... Until Lady Silthursk began to find fault. The landlord, she implied, had swindled her. It became clear to the specter that all hopes of driving out these upstarts by terror had been idle dreams. And now, on Christmas Eve, the night dedicate of old to her compatriots, she had given herself up to despair. She did not even care to walk. She wailed disconsolately in the paneled room. It was thus that the Gaunt Baron found her. The Gaunt Baron did not belong to Yocraft, but was attached to a neighboring house, now empty. With nobody to terrify at home, he found visits to the Blue Lady, a not unpleasing variant of the monotony. Except that she was several centuries his junior, he felt for her an emotion which went to a dangerous degree beyond respect. He was pained to find her wailing. Ooh, 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 ooh. ooh Gaunt Baron got a little crush on the Blue Lady. Yeah, he does. Baron and Blue Lady sitting in a tree. Trying to kiss, but they pass right through each other. It's gonna go W-A-I-L-I-N-G. <laughs> what wailing, he cried, coming on her through the... Don't oh. do that, dude. <laughs> and through the oaken panels, she can't even prepare. Also, it's probably not going to put her in a better mood. I mean, that, that is a dangerous degree beyond respect. That is a dangerous <laughs> degree beyond respect. Well, that's why. He couldn't help it. 
What, whaling? He cried, coming on her through the oaken panels. And nobody to hear you. The blue lady raised a tortured face towards him. Who would not wail? And who should hear me? Fools, they cannot hear me. Many of them do not even see me. Bah, they have no sense except the sense of taste. With truffles before them, they see nothing else. Tonight is Christmas Eve. The gaunt baron made the suggestion in a mild, kindly way, but the blue lady turned upon him almost angrily as though he had been the culprit. Yes, tonight is Christmas Eve, and what are they doing? Where is the Yule log? Where is the wassail? Where are the dim lights of glowing embers? They'll sit in the glare of this new light, a big party, and play what they call bridge. And if they feel a mystic chill, we'll draw the curtains or turn the hot air pipes full on. What do these fools know about romance? The word is dead. I saw some of their novels while the house was shut. Love? Gallantry? Nowhere in the volume. A knock-kneed weakling making love to his friend's wife or two infants puling of passion like mere vulgar serfs. Love for these people ends with marriage, to begin again after divorce. You are bitter, the gaunt baron held his head beneath his arm. Oh, so the gaunt baron was decapitated, apparently. <laughs> yeah. You are bitter, the gaunt baron held his head beneath his arm, a fact which gave to all his utterances something of the tone of a ventriloquist bitter. So would you be bitter? It's all very well for you with the manor empty, but me with these vulgarians. Baron, these mortals are beating us. We are pretty well played out. Played out. Look at our very speech. They've ruined that. Do I speak like a woman of the day of good Queen Bess? Do you speak like a baron of, of King... Like an ancient baron. <laughs> you do not, and it was Stephen, said the baron quietly. Mark me, baron, we are near the end. Either Lady Silthursk or myself leaves Yocroft. There is no room here for a self-respecting specter. No room, no room. They use the headsman's block... For mounting on their horses. If I cannot drive them out, I go. And where? Well, if I cannot leave the earth, oh, why was I ever murdered? Then I must sleep beneath the hedges till I find an empty house. Baron, that time is near. I have tried everything, and nothing seems to frighten them. Lady Silthursk serves liqueurs in the old banquet hall at midnight, and as I don't appear, as though I should, she says the theater is closed for alterations and repairs. Oh, it is unbearable, unbearable. <laughs> hmm. Dear lady, 
answered the gaunt baron. Do not despair. I managed to say some minutes ago that it was Christmas Eve. Let me explain. It is now close upon the hour of midnight, the time and day on which we ghosts are thought by men to have our greatest power. Even... Even those who don't believe in us are a little influenced by the tradition. As twelve strikes, everyone is half expectant. That is your moment. Burst upon them, wailing and raving. They are sure to see. Some of the guests will insist on leaving Yocroft, and the Silthursks will not like a house where parties are impossible. There is the gurgle that preludes the hall clock striking. In three minutes, midnight will be here. Hasten, sweet dame, hasten. I will be at hand to watch you. So, Christmas is when ghosts are strongest? Where did that come from? We have actually made lengthy deep dives into this UK tradition. But for the sake of listeners who may not have heard some of that stuff, I'll, I'll briefly go over it. Um, basically, since since times before Christmas, since like the 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 pre-Christian tribal Celtic days in uh, in England and the UK, telling of sort of spooky stories, ghost stories around the winter solstice has been a long standing tradition. Got it. Um, and it's just sort of always been around. And once the the Christian church came in and, you know, placed Christmas near winter solstice, basically those tribal traditions of telling ghost stories around the longest, darkest night of the year just kind of continued. Um, and it got moved over to December 25th instead of the 20, 20th or the 21st or whenever the solstice is. Right. Um but basically, that's where it comes from. And it's why arguably the most famous Christmas story ever, A Christmas Carol, is a ghost story. A ghost story. Got it. It's because Dickens was just writing in the tradition of ghost stories that happen at Christmas. Hmm. Um, there are uh, there's a program that runs on BBC every year that still runs on BBC every year at Christmas time. That's like we're going to tell we're going to we're going to show the scariest family of family appropriate ghost story that we can possibly put on television that's cool yeah i like that downstairs during this dialogue lady silthursk had been talking to her niece elfrida dear in a few minutes they'll all be here for the midnight seance and i have something that i want to tell you first why, what is it, auntie? asked Elfrida. You look terribly serious. I am serious, darling girl. Let me be frank. I think it is time that you were married. Not only understand because of your poor parents, but also for your own happiness. <laughs> and when I see a man who can make you both rich and happy, well... But who? interrupted Elfrida. Who? Oh, my dear girl, are you blind? Why, Bobby. 
Lord Bancourt? Yes, Lord Bancourt. Don't look as though I had shot you. Why, you silly dear thing, you must know Bobby is madly in love with you. All this week he has followed you about like an obedient dog, and all the week you've ignored him as though he were a naughty mongrel. Why, I'm sure I've treated him just like anybody else. I never... My dear Elfrida... You will be the death of me. Do you think he wants no more of you? Are you living in the Middle Ages, or is this the 20th century? Do you expect him to come and steal you away by night and force? Nowadays, the girl must do her part. Bobby is a splendid fellow, an old friend of mine, rich, young, passably good-looking. <laughs> I think... Great, but... I think he's handsome, decidedly, Elfrida said without a thought, and then blushed scarlet. Her aunt laughed. And I think you're in love with him, she said. I know he only wants a little encouragement, not quite so much ice to the square inch, my dear. Won't you try, for my sake? I'll try, Auntie, yes. I could be very, very happy with him if he asked me, but I don't think I could. It's so hard. Lady Silthursk kissed her. I don't ask anything, you little goose, except that you should just be humanly kind to poor Bobby. I think he'll do the rest. I'll try, said Elfrida dubiously. Her aunt, she reflected, was not of a nature to see how terrible it would be if people should believe her to be angling for Lord Bancroft. Better that he should choose someone else than that he should marry her on such a rumor. Oh, here they are, cried Lady Silthursk, as her husband brought his flock into the room, shouting, I've collected everyone, gamblers and all, for the <laughs> seance, except Bobby can't find him. <gasps> oh, I wish he were here. The lady will surely walk on Christmas Eve, said the hostess. If she doesn't, I mean to demand my money back. Oh, there's the hour. Sit quiet, everyone. Blue lady, forward, please. There, look, there. She I love that they're, like, throwing a party, and, he, and he's just like, I've got everyone. Like, this isn't a group of our friends. This is, like, everyone that I could, like... Pulled off every drunk <laughs> off the street. I went down to the train station. I don't know who the fuck this guy is, but he's got a bottle of wine. <laughs> I think it's wine. I think it's wine. He smells like wine. <laughs> she pointed excitedly at the old gallery, once for minstrels, now arrogated by a pianola organ. Behind its oaken pillars passed a vague female figure dressed in blue, moaning horribly, and waving distraught arms above her flowing hair. Immediately cries of every sort rose from the watchers. I can't see her! It's a cinematograph! What ho, Lord Bobby! Yeah, she's gone slick through the music stool. I still can't see her. No, there's nothing there. Do the cakewalk now. Encore! As she vanished, someone clapped his hands, and with a laugh, the whole party joined in the applause. 
The scene had not been very impressive. From a theatrical point of view, the ghost's entrance had been ruined by the number and the temper of its audience. Those who had not seen it scoffed. Those who had, till reminded of the music stool seen dimly through the figure, half believed the blue lady to be an alias of Lord Bancourt. Then, as one by one, they realized that what had passed was in very truth a ghost, the guests hushed their laughter until the babble sank almost into silence. It was in such a lull that Bobby entered. Why, what a stony seance, he exclaimed. Missing me, or seen a ghost? Yes, so delightful. The blue lady actually came, said Lady Silthursk, who alone seemed totally unruffled. Bobby laughed, the unforced laugh of healthy youth. Oh, ho, I see why you were silent, but you can't green me, thanks. I'm not quite so verdant. Oh, no, not at all. We have seen it, really, one or two guests hastened to assure him. Lord Bancourt laughed more heartily than ever. Why, I believe you've honestly deceived yourselves. This is glorious. You really think you saw a ghost? Who could doubt? asked a plump dowager who intended henceforth to adopt a pose intensely spiritual. What doubt exists when the great after lifts its veil? Have you ever seen a ghost, Lord Bancourt? Bobby tried to hide his smiles. I'm afraid, and glad I haven't. If I did, I should go off my nut, I think, but I don't think I ever shall. With these words, he moved towards the circle of ghost seers and chose with unerring aim of all the vacant chairs that next Elfrida. What a coincidence. Lady Silthursk beamed contentedly. I seem to have missed a lot, said the irrepressible Bobby, as he sat down and added impudently, but I hope that I've been missed a lot. Elfrida remembered her aunt's warning, but she also fancied, as the self-conscious will, that all the gathering, still somewhat silent, had heard the question and would hear the answer. She could fancy their scorn at her scheming tactics. Bobby looked expectantly towards her. It was certainly a unique experience, she said stiffly. Bobby's face fell. Lady Silthursk shrugged her shoulders. Poor Bobby. He'll get his. Bobby? Sure. But he seems like a nice guy. She'll get hers. Who? I don't know. Someone's got to get something. It's a ghost story. I know, but, I, you know, I'm on, I'm on team everyone. They all seem, they all seem real, like real fine folk. Okay. <laughs> if you say so. The blue lady doesn't like these people. They're being douchey to her house. I mean, that's fair. I like the blue lady. I hope she wins. They, 
there, exclaimed the blue lady, safe within the paneled room. I knew how your mad scheme would work. You heard. They catcalled. They encored me, asked for a new dance. They gave me a round of applause when I went off. I can stay here no longer to be insulted. Always impetuous, said the gaunt baron quietly. You rushed off after the applause. I waited and heard what alters the whole question. Namely, asked the lady in ill temper, Lord Bancourt did not see you, has never seen a ghost, doesn't believe in them. He said distinctly, if I saw one, I should go off my nut. This being schoolboy and smart for going mad. I begin to see, the blue lady brightened visibly. Exactly. You must catch him alone. No more of these convivial audiences. And then drive him mad. He is an old friend of Lady Silthurst, rich and titled. She would not stay here after that. You must wreak your worst on him. I can only wail, she answered gloomily. I have no chains or blood or severed head. The words inspired the headless baron. Ah, he cried, I will come and help tonight. I ought not to show myself out of my own house, but... Oh, what is etiquette in such a crisis, Baron? Dear Baron, you have saved me. I am an old-fashioned woman, and at such a time, I need a man. <laughs> it was night. It had, to be precise, been night for several hours, and the whole household was at length tucked up in bed. Sleep had come none too easily to at least three members. To Elfrida, worrying about the real sentiments of Bobby. To Bobby, worrying about the real sentiments of Elfrida. And to Lady Silthursk, worrying about the real sentiments of both. The last named, in particular, tossed long upon her sleepless bed. She was puzzled. She could half understand Elfrida's foolish diffidence. She could not understand Bobby's idiotic silence. Why did he not speak? He was not of a sort to be lightly daunted by the fear of a rebuff. Or had she made a false diagnosis? Was he not in love at all? And at length even she turned over on her side with a contented groan. Sleep reigned over Yocraft Hall. But in Bobby's room, far off along the west wing, dark deeds were decidedly afoot. For more than half an hour a headless knight, clanking horribly in every joint of his dim gleaming armor, had chased to and fro a blue-clad lady who wailed in awful wise and tossed arms of agony to the wallpapered ceiling. Through all this, Lord Bancourt slept smilingly <laughs> upon his noble bed. 
Then the gaunt baron consulted with the blue lady, and a change of tactics was the result. The armored figure now rattled round the room, rousing more noise than any antiquated motor, the while a <laughs> frantic dame pursued him with blood-curdling wails. Bobby stirred a little, murmured sleepily, turned over, and showed every <laughs> symptom of having relapsed into even deeper slumber. This would be me. This would definitely be me. <laughs> Just a bunch of ghosts trying to scare the shit out of me, and I am... Completely just, tuned out. Yeah. Dawn draws on, said the gaunt baron suddenly. I always knew when I was beaten. Come, sweet dame, a man who can sleep like that will make his mark someday in the House of Lords. <laughs> we love a good topical political joke from another country. From a century ago. He vanished, and after one despairing glance, the blue lady flung herself angrily through the oaken door. It was at this moment, by a subtle irony of fate, that Lord Bancourt awoke. The sense of some presence lingered with him, and he sat upright in his bed. His sleepy eyes were caught by a blue skirt which vanished from the doorway. His sleepy mind failed to perceive that the door had not been open. Whew, he said, and lay <laughs> thinking deeply for Lord Bancourt. <laughs> so, so Bobby's dumb. Yeah. Bobby's like real dumb. He was very young, like most young nobles, not inclined to underestimate his own importance. After the first moment of surprise, he felt no doubt as to the wearer of the blue skirt. It was Elfrida. He was rather unobservant as to women's dresses and all that, you know. But he felt fairly certain that she had worn a blue costume at dinner. Yes, it could be no one else. It was almost certainly Elfrida. Elf so he's dumb and super confident. Yeah. That's a terrible kind. That's the best yeah. kind. <laughs> Elfrida's iciness was but a cloak. When she had snubbed him by day, she would creep in by night and gaze upon his sleeping moonlit face. How beautiful. Man, really dumb. Like, if he believed that, that is not... That is creepy. That's not a... That's a red flag. Yeah. It's not an accurate assessment, but it, it would be a red flag. You ever woken up to someone watching you? I don't think so. No? Not a human. Like a pet. Ah, oh, well, yeah. But... Which is in itself kind of creepy. Which is creepy, yeah. I, um... Uh, when I was living in New York, it, like, it wasn't... I assume that it wasn't that he had been sitting watching me for hours, because that would be creepy. But when, when I was uh, living in New York, early in my living in New York days, I shared, I had a roommate. We actually shared, like, shared a room. Uh, and I woke up one night uh, to go to the bathroom or something like that. Woke up, rolled over, and he was, like, standing over my bed looking down at me. Did he have a knife? He did not, no. Okay. No. Um, there was no... Uh, there wasn't anything particularly in inherently menacing or creepy about the way he was looking at me. It was just like, I woke up and there was Billy standing over the bed looking at me. And I got the impression uh -huh. that like he was just coming back 
from the bathroom. Right. And happened to be like looking down at me and looking down yeah, at my bed so that he didn't like thing. so that he didn't trip over it or whatever. But yeah, still creepy. Mm-hmm. So if you think a girl is into you and you think she's staring at you at night, maybe that's a red flag. His heart thrilled at the revelation. He had hesitated so far to speak. It would never do for him, Lord Bancourt, to risk refusal by a nobody. His mother, in her long course of tuition, had taught him proper pride. But now, now, at the first chance, he would throw himself, his rank, his wealth, his everything before the nobody, and feel no fear as to the verdict. Tomorrow... Tomorrow. Tomorrow. You're only a day away. True. And when tomorrow came, as it does sometimes come, despite the proverb, (laughs) he rose early and went out in the garden. As he had shaved each morning, he had seen Elfrida walking in the grounds below. He had never dared to join her. Everything today was different. Though the weather was certainly absurdly cold for early rising. She was there before him, in among the white whore laden yo walks. She turned at his coming. You are early this morning, Lord Bancourt. Hate when you come early in the morning. I mean, there are worse things to do first thing in the morning. There are worse things first thing in the morning. I'm just saying early. Right, I guess I early's guess, not good anytime. Right. I guess it depends on whether or not early is attached to the word coming or to the word morning. She turned at his coming. <laughs> you are early this morning. Okay. Yeah. That gotcha. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, no no no. That's that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Ah. He responded <laughs> meaningly. Ah. 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 The early bird catches the first worm. It struck him for the moment as a compliment and rather neat, but he pined for something less indefinite. Elfrida, he said, going close to her. I may call you Elfrida. I could not wait. You encouraged me last night. You gave me hope, and now I want more. You won't take even that away. I want far more. I want you. I want you to be my wife. Will you, Elfrida? Don't be cruel. I want you to say yes. Elfrida's head was in a whirl. She did not know how she had encouraged him. She could remember nothing of last night except that she had lost a chance, that he had seemed offended. She could not guess at what had changed his attitude. She only knew that what her aunt wanted above at all, what she herself longed for, had somehow come to pass. Only knew that her loved one's arms were around her. She said, yes. Aw, I always hoped those two would get together. 
Sweet dame, said the gaunt baron later in the paneled room, I have been scouting and alas bring evil news. Lord Bancourt took you last night, for Elfrida was encouraged to propose and is accepted. Lady Siltersk is delighted, says the wedding shall be here, and she must turn this dear chamber into a dressing room. She says she will clear out the musty paneling. It is all unfortunate. Unfortunate, wailed the blue lady. It all comes of listening to a man. <laughs> See what your mad scheme has done, Baron. Forgive my bitterness. I am defeated. I told you these mortals had vanquished us. I set out to do a little evil in the good old way and see what I have done. I have made everybody happy. Farewell. Your craft must know me no more. Farewell. Farewell forever. With an abysmal groan, she vanished through the paneling. Unless she has found an ancient empty house, she is perhaps sleeping underneath the hedges. The end. Huh. It wasn't Casper. It wasn't Casper, no. I very much enjoyed that one. I think Desmond Coke uh, has a great voice for writing. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Like, really cool. Um, I'm thoroughly disappointed that he is not a better known author, and I think I'm going to have to track down some of his books. Yeah, that was, there's was there a lot of fun stuff in there. I like it. I like it. Um, I don't think I've, I don't think I've heard like that, quite that approach to a ghost story. Yeah, a lot of a lot of it was from the ghost point of view, which is fun. So I think this is going to be a good opportunity for us to um, once again ask listeners for ghost stories. Always um, a good opportunity. But perhaps this time we're specifically looking for ghost stories that didn't scare you. Right. Where you're pretty sure something weird or supernatural, ghostly, otherworldly, spiritual, whatever happened, but it didn't freak you out like this one. Or if you have a story about waking up to someone watching you. Or if you have a story about something <laughs> waking up to someone watching you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would also be, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also a good one. We like that. Uh, not a ghost story, but definitely creepy. So if you have one of those, uh, feel free to shoot us a message at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or uh, any of our social medias. Just look for Campfire Classics Podcast. Uh, tell us your ghost stories. Tell us your stories about waking up to finding someone watching you. Um, shoot us the story of the haunted screwdriver. Make it a musical for bonus points. And when you send us these messages, please include this week's passphrase, which is Siltersk. <laughs> Uh, I like that, but that seems needlessly cruel um, just because I can barely spell it and I just read it 49,000 times. No, this week's passcode is coming on her through the oaken panels. (laughs) 
I think it might be the longest passcode we've had, but it seems appropriate. It's good. Yeah. Um, any parting words of wisdom or clever stories to share with us before we depart this um, digital coil until the week that shall come next? Um, I got nothing. The inhalation was also a lie. The inhalation was a lie as well. I'm sorry. All right, cool. Uh, in that case, thank you very much for joining us. As always, it's been a pleasure sharing this um, weird little story with you. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Cool.